This is Amos 5 and 6. Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land, with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that went out a, a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal, or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and devour it with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn down justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. He who made the Pleiades and Orion and turn deep and turns deep darkness into the morning and dark, darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name, who makes dis- destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves the gate. They abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, and you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For you know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins, you who afflict the righteous to take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent, prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. As you have said, hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that Lord... The Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing, and in all the streets they shall say, Alas, alas. They shall call the farmers to mourning, and wailing those who are skilled in lamentation. And in all the vineyards there shall be wailing, For I will pass through your midst. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion, and bear and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned against his wall, and a serpent bent him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate and I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, but to the melody of your harps I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sikkith 
your king, and Kayun, your star god, your images that you have made for images that you have made for yourselves. And I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Pass over Calneh and see, and from there go to Hamath the Great. Then go to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms, or is their territory greater than your territory? O you who have put away far the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, and like David, invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink in wine and bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and the reverie of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. The Lord God has sworn by himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds, and I will never deliver up the city and all that is in it. And if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And when one... And when one's relative, the one who anoints him for burial, shall take him up to bring the bones out of the house, and and shall say to him who is the innermost parts of the house, Is there still anyone with you? He shall say, No. And he shall say, Silence. We must not mention the name of the Lord. For behold, the Lord commands, and the great house shall be struck down into fragments, and the little house into bits. Do horses run on rocks? Does one plow there with oxen? But you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood, you who rejoice in low debar. Who say, have we not by our own strength captured Carnium for ourselves? For behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. And they shall oppress you from Lebo Hamath to the brook of the Abarath. Good morning. For those who are uh, new or visiting today, my name is Tim, and uh, I'm one of the, the deacons and MC leaders here at Believer's Church. And we are reading in Amos, and we have been going through the book of Amos as we are going through the 12 minor prophets. So um, let's start today with the kids, because we have kids in here with us this week. So kids, can I see where you're at? Big hands up high. All right. So all of the kids, I have a question for you. Um, Those of you, let's start with those of you that have siblings. Um, have you ever in your life had a time when your parents were unfair to you versus your siblings? Anyone? All right. 
Um, or, or maybe maybe you don't have siblings, um, but this could be to anyone. What, what about at school? Has there ever been a time like that you've been at school and a teacher was unfair to you versus the other kids in your school, in your class? Oh yeah, I see some hands there too. All right, so um, just tell me, how, how, did, how did that make you guys feel? Small, annoyed, upset. All right. And why? Why did it bother you? You think everyone should be treated equal. Okay. Anyone else? All right. So we, we have a passage here today, and, and God is telling us that, that he cares about how people are treated, that he cares that that people are treated fairly. And um, in, in that, it, it got me thinking about how, like, what, what do we think is fair? Why, why do we think sometimes things are unfair? And it, it made me think about, like, myself when I was a kid and, and how I might have felt or I see with my own kids when they think that they're being treated unfairly. And so sometimes it, it truly is that. Sometimes we are, we are treated unfairly. We are treated unkindly and and maybe we have we have a, a teacher or maybe we have you know someone in the community or our own siblings or or people treat us differently than they might treat others i think sometimes as parents we we do do that we do fall to that but i think a lot of times though maybe as kids we think about something being unfair and it's not necessarily that it's unfair but from our eyes it feels unfair why, why did I have to wait till I was, you know, 10 to ride my bike all the way around the block? But as soon as I got to, my little brother also got to, because he wasn't that age yet, right? And so that, that feels unfair to us. And so um, it, it, it reminded me of, there's, there's like this, this old Chinese proverb that I'm, I'm going to butcher here. But there's a story of of a father and a son. And uh, the father, when, when, when the son is, is about 18, the father buys him a horse. And the people in town, and they come and they talk to the father, and they say, like, how, how great is that? How blessed is your son? And the father says, we'll see. And then not, not long after that, the, the son is riding the horse, and... Um, and he has an accident, and he falls off the horse, and he breaks his back. And the people, they come to the father, and they say, like, how, how horrible is this that this has happened to your son? And he says, we'll see. And then war breaks out, and the next day, like, a, a man from the government comes, and he tells, uh, he, he says, like, there, there is war. We're, we're going to have to take your son. And uh, I just... Mix those two up. See, I knew I was going to butcher it. <laughs> that happens first, right? He says, we're going to take your son. But then the, the, uh, the son falls and breaks his back. And so, um, and, and the story can just keep going on and on and on. And, and these things happen. And every time, the father just says, we'll see. Because when something happens, we don't yet know whether, always, whether, whether that's a, a good thing or a bad thing. Because we don't know God's plan for our life. We don't know how things are going to work out. Um, there, there's lots of times that, that something seemingly bad happens to us, and we think this is a, 
a terrible tragedy. This is the worst thing that could happen. And then not too long after that, God does something. And, and we realize, like, had this other thing not happened, this great thing that God had planned for me would have never happened. And so my, my encouragement to you today as kids is, is A, like, I, I agree that, that things, the things should be fair, that we, we should have justice. And if, if you see injustice, like, speak out for that. If you have a friend that, that is being bullied, if you have someone that's being treated unfairly, stand up for them. Fight for them. Like, that, that's good. Not fist fight, but, you know, it's not what I'm encouraging. But, uh, but the second is also in when, when you feel that injustice has been done to you, uh, to take a moment pray about it, think about it, and, and maybe God is doing something in your life that, that you won't know yet and, until many years down the road. So in, in our passage today, we see a great deal about injustice. We see a great deal about how people are treated unfairly and, and, and Amos and God have, have some things to say about that. So I, I just I have I have a few questions that just kind of came to mind as, as working through this passage, and the first is is does God care about injustice? And then the second is do do we as Christians care about injustice? And does does God care about human suffering? Now these are big, like heavy theological questions that I'm not necessarily going to have all the answers for you today and one quick sermon through two chapters of Amos. But I, I think that, that the passage does touch on these, and I think that the, these are things for us to think about, to ponder, and, and to move forward as, as individuals, as a church, as a community, and, and thinking about what does it mean when we see injustice around us, and, and how, how do we react to that? How does God react to it? And, and how, do, how does our reaction to injustices reflect our relationship with God. So a few notes before we, we dive into here real deep. Um, this first thing isn't really going to have a theological impact, but I think it should be noted that when we think about the Bible, we know that the Bible wasn't written in English. And uh, most of us know that like the, the New Testament is written in Greek and the Old Testament is mostly written in Hebrew. But we have the opportunity... Right now we're reading a passage that actually isn't in either, that there are, uh, oh, I wrote down the number of verses. There, there are 268 verses in all of the Bible that are written in Aramaic. And so that includes uh, part of this. So I might have even been wrong on that. Anyway, no theological thing there. But we're, we're reading through, uh, we're, we're at five and six. And so we've read through chapters uh, one and two, or one, chapters one through four. And chapters one through four could be considered like the book of doom. Like in this, this part, Amos is, is talking about the, the doom that is coming to Israel. And then um, we could say that the chapters five and six then are like the book of woes. And so this is, um, he's, he's finished this, this general section of doom, and now he's talking about these are, these are the woes. These, woe is this and woe is that, right? And so, and then the last thing here is, in, 
in this section here, we have um, a little bit of a uh, kind of a, a poetic structure. And I don't say that to mean like, oh, this is poetic and this just means whatever we assign to it. But just that the author here, Amos, is using a, uh, a structure which is used often in, in these Old Testament writings where he, he lays it out in a specific way. And so this is a, a chiastic structure in which you, you lay out something. And so we have, in, in this structure, we have lamentation and then exhortation and then accusation and then a hymn. And then we work our way backwards and we have accusation and an exhortation and a lamentation. And so... I'm just saying that that, that we, we see here that Amos isn't just, he's not just spitballing and, and saying things and then just scribbling down, but, but he's, he is a, an author who is taking his time and he's not just writing about what happened, but, but he's laying it out, he's laying the words out in a, in a specific way as the Spirit is working through him um, to use language to his benefit. And so again, we, we don't have to be like scared, like, oh, like, I said poetic, that means Tim doesn't think that like all of the Bible is, you know, whatever. But the way that we use words in specific uh, ways like has meaning. Just like in a regular sentence, the words and the way that you place them in order in that sentence is going to have an impact on how someone takes it. Also, the way that the sentences are laid out in this passage have have some meaning and have some influence here. So if we start with that, that lamentation that, that begins in verses one and three, and we say like, hear this word that I take up over you, lamentation, O house of Israel, fallen no more to rise as the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord, the city that went out on a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went out on a hundred should have ten left to the house of Israel. And so we, we start this in, in some translations here, instead of a lamentation, it says like a dirge or a funeral song. And so that's literally what, what we have here is that there, Amos is beginning this and he's singing a funeral song over Israel. He's, he's singing a, a, a dirge over the deceased. Obviously, they're not deceased yet because he's talking to them and he's telling them about come coming judgment. But to Amos, this judgment is so definite, like God has proclaimed it, it is happening. It's so definite that he's, he's singing the song like they are already dead. He knows this, this isn't just a possibility that's coming. God is doing this. And so I am lamenting you because you're dead already. And so then he, we, we have the, uh, the exhortation, his, his appeal to repentance. And so we, we see that in four through six. And I specifically want to show you five because, as I said, there's, there's this chiastic structure. Well, in the middle of this chiastic structure, we have another one, which you see here in, in five. And he says, but do not seek Bethel. Do not enter into Gilgal. Do not cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. So you see the way he kind of stacks it there of Bethel, Gilgal, Beersheba, and then Gilgal, Bethel. Of he, He's laying that out. 
All three of these are are, uh, cities of ancient worship. And so Amos is condemning attendance at shrines because those have become a substitute for worshiping God himself. And so he says, Seek Yahweh that you may live, like lest he come mightily like a fire, O house of Joseph, and it will consume with none to quench it for Bethel. And and he's, he's telling them, like, this is going to be like a decimation, like there will literally only be a tenth of the people. Whether it's a thousand people go out, there'll be a hundred. If it's a hundred people that go out, there'll be ten. And then later in the passage, we even see like there's a house with ten people hiding in it. Maybe there's one person that's left. And and that guy's scared of what's going to happen. So in... had to print my papers out this time, so I've got to figure out how to keep them where I could look at <laughs> multiple. Um, so in, in seven, we have his, his accusation to them, which is, O oh, you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. So when, when justice is overthrown, when righteousness is cast down to the ground, the result is chaos. And then they, they turn justice into wormwood and into like the most bitter thing imaginable is, is what they're turning it into. Now, eight through nine, right? Eight through nine is when, where we see this, this hymn. And he says, he who made the Pleiades and the Orion, who turns deep darkness into the morning, who darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, The Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that the destruction comes upon the fortress. So this, it says, he who made the Pleiades and the Orion. So this this is two star constellations. Um, And essentially knowing these constellations in the ancient world is is knowing like how how the seasons happen and so you know different seasons the, the night sky changes so this he's, he's saying like god is control of everything god is in control of the night sky of the seasons of the rotation of the earth everything is controlled by him everything is in subservience to him and so that, that's that's my first main point here is just that that god is in control of all things there is nothing that happens outside of God's power and control. And um, I, I said Yahweh in there a couple of times. I'd make a point here that in, at the end of verse 8, it says, the Lord is his name. And in your, in, in your Bible, it probably says in capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And I'll touch on that a couple of times in this verse, just because, or in this passage, just because, the name of God is so important in this passage that in multiple times it says, the Lord, your God, the host of heavens, the Lord, God, and sometimes it's capitalized and sometimes it's not, and I'll touch on that in a minute. But here it ends that passage saying, or that verse saying, the Lord is his name, and so Yahweh is his name, is what Lord there is for. So as we followed that structure, it worked to the hymn. So that's kind of the main point of this whole first section is that God is in control. And then it kind of quickly works its way back. And so we have um, the accusation and judgment, which is that the oppressors took from the poor to build luxurious things for themselves. But the thing is, they will not enjoy those things. 
They, they built mansions, but they are not going to live in their mansions. They planted vineyards, but they will not drink the wine from their vineyards. They have oppressed the poor, and they have um, used that oppression of the poor to build upon themselves, but they will never enjoy those things that they have acquired unjustly on the backs of the poor. Their greed is going to be matched by God's judgment. So we have a glimpse of this in, in chapter 9, that there will be a time when, when God will reverse this. Um, and he, he says in chapter 9, I, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. So God is saying, like, there, there is a time when, when this is going to be undone, um, that it's, you know, it's going to be their descendants. But these people, these people who did all of this on the, on the back of exploiting others, they are not going to enjoy the fruits of that. And so this is our, our second point in this passage, is that God despises injustice, and he will judge those who cause injustice on others. And so quickly here in... in in, in talking about justice and injustice, um, the, the question is, like, what, what is injustice, right? So I think injust, or injustice is receiving worse than one deserves because injustice can't be receiving differently than you deserve, because then that would also include receiving better than you deserve. And I don't think any of us feel that way, that if we received better than what we deserved, we call it an injustice, right? We, we call that like mercy. Um, so since injustice is receiving worse than you deserve, then we know that the greatest injust, injustice of all time is the way that Jesus was treated and going to the cross. Because Jesus was a sinless and perfect creator of the universe, and he was tortured and given the death penalty for crimes that he did not commit. And he was killed by the people that he came to save. And so when we discuss God in relation to injustice, we must admit that God himself has been the recipient of the greatest injustice at our hands and for our benefit. So in 14 and 15, we see this, this exhortation, which is uh, God's hope, uh, hope for God's gracious response. And he says, seek good and not evil, hate evil and love good, seek justice in the gate. The gate here is just that this is the, the place where the court cases were generally held, like at, at the city gate is where they would meet and they would try people. So seek justice in your justice system. Um, and so that, that's telling us like we, we, need to, we need to seek justice within our systems of justice and not just personal justice. He's not telling the people like, hey, when, when someone does something wrong to you, give them justice. But he's also saying at, at the city gate, at the place where you as a community have, you know, systematic justice, like seek justice there as well. And then... Again, our, our chiastic structure ends with that lamentation in verses 16 and 17. 
which says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing, in all the streets they shall say, Alas, alas, and they shall call to the farmers to mourning, and to those wailing who are skilled in lamentation, and in the vineyards there shall be wailing, and I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. And so, again, the quick note here just about um, the language and titles of God. I told you I would come to that. Because this, when you, when you just read it in English, it is a weird way to say it. It says, the, the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord. And again, in our English, the first one, it says the Lord in all capital. And then the second Lord is only the L is capitalized. And so he's saying, therefore, Yahweh, uh, Elohe, Sabaoth, Adonai. And I don't speak Hebrew, and I'm not trying to pronounce that correctly. So don't. Go tell Dr. Bergen that I butchered that. But he, he says, you know, he's using the personal name of God and then Elohei or Elohim, the, the general word for God, kind of like us for English. God means Christian God, but it also means general word God, a, you know, deistic being. And then Adonai, which is like Lord. The, the person who lords over you, the person who um, you swear your allegiance to. And so maybe a, a, a better way for the, us to say this, that it makes sense. And, and Sabaoth, um, it means like a commander of armies. So uh, maybe an easier way for us to say that that makes sense to us is that is Yahweh, the, the personal name of God, the commander of the armies of heaven, my Lord to whom I swear allegiance. So, and then we, we move to 18 to 24, and here we see that, that this is where God starts telling us about letting justice roll down. This is the beginning of the woes. The day of the Lord is coming, the coming judgment day, when God will right all wrongs, and he will conquer all of his foes, and he will establish his sovereign rule over all the world. So the Israelites viewed this as the time that the Messiah would come, and he would, he would rescue them, and he would establish them as the nation over all nations and he would you know come and he would conquer uh, Babylon and Assyria and Egypt and and all the nations that had had fought against them and so they they anxiously awaited that day um, and so they, they regarded their election as Israelites as a guarantee that God would lift them up as his chosen people and they would have never fathomed him counting them among his foes, like they are the chosen people. They are the people of God. The day of the Lord means that he lifts them up and he wipes out the others. And so Amos warns them not to look forward to this day. This is going to be a day of gloom and destruction for them, not a day to be celebrated. While the Israelites view the day of the Lord as their deliverance, he says, it will be like being delivered from a lion and into the mouth of a bear. It is, a, it is like fleeing to the safety of your home only to put your hand on the wall and being bitten by a snake. And so the, the faithless have no home in the coming day of the Lord. So it's, I, I, I think, you know, there, there, there's parallel here for us, you know, as, as Christians too. Like, the day of the Lord, as they looked for it, you know, it, first of all, I'll say, like, as, as Christians, it's easy for us in reading the New Testament and be like, you know, 
the Jewish people had this all messed up and they thought that Jesus was going to come and the day of the Lord was going to be like Jesus rides in and he takes over and he defeats Rome and he sets up and like how stupid were they? And they didn't even know what was going on. Um, I, I think it's, it's good for us to, to consider what, what he's saying here too is like if, if, if we are just trusting that everything's going to work out for us but we don't consider our actions as well. Not that our actions earn us salvation, but the way that we treat others, our actions are evidence of our election. Our actions are evidence that, that God is working in us, that, that we are in him. And so if, if, if we see ourselves mirrored in that, then, then maybe we, we shouldn't be excited about that. Maybe we should be weary of that day. Maybe that should drive us to consider, like, am, am, I, am I really trusting in Christ as my Lord? So again, um, in, in 21 through 27, we see that these Israelites viewed themselves, again, as the chosen people of God. They celebrated him in feasts, in solemn assemblies, in offerings, in sacrifices, in singing songs and praises. But God says he will not accept their songs. He will not accept their offerings. He will not accept their songs and praises. He takes no delight in any part of their worship. He seeks justice and righteousness. He says, you will go back to your idol worship and I will send you back into exile. And so again, I think that th this is a, a cautious word to us again as believers as well. Like if, if, if we take comfort in I go to church, like I give tithes and offerings at church. I am leading a ministry. I am doing like if if that is what we we take our comfort in is that if that is where we think we know like we're we're good. God says here like if if your actions don't show that you're following God, that he he doesn't take any delight in any of that worship. So we move to chapter 6. And so uh, chapter 6 is, is the woes continue. Um, he says, woe to those at ease. Israel was in a time of prosperity. And so, you know, uh, again, if, if we're looking at personal application here, how do we define pros prosperity? Um, I think for, for many of us, you know, we, we think like, I, I am going to, I'm going to serve God more in the future. I'm, I'm going to give more eventually when I'm, I'm making more money and, and I, and, and things aren't as tight as home. Like, I, I will do that then and I will give more time when I have more time. And, and we think, all of us, that, that we're, we're too busy and our finances are, too, are stretched too thin and we have too much on our plate. Um, but when we consider the rest of the world, when we consider the rest of history, like how, how much prosperity do we have as people? You know, we, we might think like, oh, I'm stretched, I'm stretched too thin, I don't have enough. And people, you know, around the world that live on less than a dollar a day or whatever, you know, like we, we have immeasurable wealth and blessings that, that God has given us. And so often we, we don't, we don't think of it that way, but he, he says like, woe to those who live in the lap of luxury. 
right? So in 6-4, and he, he paints, you know, this, this wild picture, like, woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches, who eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, like they, they drink wine in bowls and they anoint themselves with the finest oils, but they are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. And so he says, therefore, they shall now be the first of those to go into exile. The revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. So he, he's saying like, woe to those who have so much extravagance and live in the lap of luxury. They want to be first. And so they shall. They will be first to go into exile. Like if you, if you want to put yourselves first, go ahead. You will be. And uh, in 8 through 10 here, we see that the destruction is going to be so great that if, if anyone is left, he's going to be afraid to even say God's name. It says, For the Lord God has sworn by himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts, um, I abhor the pride of Jacob. I hate his strongholds. I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. And if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And when one's relative, the one who anoints him for burial, shall take him up to bring the bones out of the house and shall say to him, Who is in the innermost parts of the house? Is there anyone still with you? And he shall say, No. And he shall say, Silence! We must not mention the name of the Lord. So the destruction is going to be so great that they won't even want to say the name of God. And so I, I, I see some play here back with, with uh, chapter 5, verse 4, because there God says, seek me and live. But even after this great decimation, after he's killed out, you know, 90% of them or more, and, and there's someone left, that person um, still doesn't want to call on the name of the Lord. He, he was given the answer. He was told, seek me and live. But he still isn't seeking God. And he's, he's become so afraid. He's like, don't eat, like, someone came, they're gathering up the dead, they're going to burn the bodies, and they find someone that's still alive. And so why, why is he saying, don't say the name of God? Well, they're, they're probably going, again, going back to the beginning of chapter five, they're about to like, you know, sing, sing a dirge, sing a, a song about the dead, offer up a prayer to God about the dead. And the person that's living is like, don't even say his name. Like maybe, God, maybe God's forgotten about us. If we don't say his name, he won't kill any more of us. And so rather than, than seeking God, they're, they're still just being driven by their sin. So we, we end this chapter then with a final rebuke from Amos. And he says, For behold, the Lord commands, and the great house shall be struck down into fragments, and the little house into bits. Do horses run on rocks? If you don't know, horse, horses don't like to run on rocks. It hurts their feet. Uh, does one plow there with oxen? Again, the rocks. Like, do you want to plow a bunch of rocks? If you live in Missouri, then you, you don't have a choice. It's all there is is rocks. But 
Uh, but you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into worm, wormwood. So again, he, he's calling back to earlier in the passage and he's, he's using those same phrases again. You who rejoice in Lodabar, who say, have we not by our own strength captured Carnaim for ourselves? For behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts, and they shall oppress you from Lebo Hamath and from the brook of Arabah. So again, he's, he's focusing on their injustice. He's saying the rich and the powerful have dispensed poison instead of justice. They've dispensed bitterness instead of righteousness. And so we see that that is, that is the theme that it has run through these two chapters, is, is that not only is God bringing destruction to Israel, he, he is, he's bringing them justice, both in that he, he is solving the injustice of the poor people, those who have been oppressed, but he's bringing justice to them. He's bringing them what they deserve. He's not bringing worse than they deserve. He's bringing exactly what they deserve as they have, have treated others, as they have treated God. And so some things I just want to consider as we close is, is first, like, do you hate injustice? And I want like, sit in that for a minute and think, like, not only do you hate injustice, do you hate injustice like God does in Amos? Like, the, is, it, is it just like, oh, I don't like that. That's a bad thing. Or, or is injustice to other people of, like, seeing that the, these are people who are made in God's image, who are, like, made by God and for a purpose, like, I am sick seeing how people are sometimes treated by other people, by systems, by whatever. Like, does that hurt your soul? The second is, do you find yourself comfortable, satiated? Like, do you feel comfortable in your home, in your family, in your church body? And you're like, I, I'm comfortable and I don't really want to go out and go make myself uncomfortable because seeking these things are uncomfortable. A third is, are you focused on the outside worship of the Lord? Financial giving, singing songs, attending church, again, like maybe leading an MC, leading a ministry, like do are you focused on that? But do, do you find yourself joyously seeking the Lord? Like is... When, when, you, when you think about the time that you spent with the Lord, are you thinking about, like, time in the Word and hearing from God and praying to God? Like, are you thinking about, these are the ways that I served. These are the things I did. I went. I attended. I sang song. Like, And then my last question for you to consider is, do you look forward to the day of the Lord? And so again, our, our understanding of the day of the Lord is a little bit different because we're in this like now but not quite yet time. Like Jesus has come and we've had that and we celebrate that, but we also know that, that Jesus is going to return. And just like they saw in the coming day of the Lord, we know that part has not yet been fulfilled, that, that God is going to come and he is going to call us to you know, account for our sins. 
and, and account for what we've done with our lives and how we've served God and if we've served idols and if we have, uh, if we've sought justice and if we've cared for other people, you know, if, if we have um, loved orphans and widows, if we have bared each other's burdens, like we, we are going to have to account for that. And so my, my question is, like, do, do you look forward to the day of the Lord? And should you? Are, are you a person right now who, who should be looking forward to that day? Or, or like, you know, we saw in here, like, are you someone who should dread that day because you do not serve God? You have not given your life to him. That Your actions in your life show that he isn't your Lord. He isn't the one that you were seeking to serve. And so um, Sean's going to come up. He's going to lead us in uh, the Lord's Supper and kind of chase that thread a little bit more.